This is Stories of Win, where we showcase amazing women in neuroscience. We chat with them about their research, their unique journeys through academia, and what drives their passion for studying the brain. Here is one of their stories. This is Stories of Win, and I'm Nancy Padilla, and I am here with Dr. Lakeisha Williams, who is an associate professor of biomedical engineering at the University of Florida. Thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Thank you, Nancy. I'm excited to be here. We're super excited to hear your story. So we always like starting by asking you, how did you suddenly, you know, started studying the brain? How did that happen for you? Yeah. How did you made it to the brain? (laughs) good question. So I am a biomedical engineer um, by trade, undergraduate biological master's and PhD or biomedical. I actually have uh, started looking at soft tissue mechanics. So in my graduate training, I was doing soft tissue biomechanics and studying the movement of ligaments and tendons and so on. And then from there, I began to understand like, okay, these, these are great. I was getting lots of data, lots of good insight, but then, and, and actually, so I did that throughout my whole training seasons, all of my degrees. And then I came into faculty and I began to work with certain agencies who be having, who began to have questions about mechanical questions about the brain, structural questions about the brain. And so we just began working in conversations and I was like, I think I could apply, apply the, the experimental tools, the models and all that I've used on tendons and ligaments and the actual, the concepts, the way we think about, um, structure and function of soft tissues and how can I how can I I started asking myself how can I use this towards the brain and so began to speak with as I was a younger faculty newer faculty began to speak with um, funding agencies who were interested in some of the ideas so we came together and drafted some ideas and then all of a sudden I was able to submit some competitive work into these agencies and the rest is history it was just so exciting and cool that you know like you can go into something new mm-hmm. in a way, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. dive into s- something newer, mm-hmm. you know, later in your career. Yeah. I mean, even though you were early assistant yeah. professor, um, when you look at like the whole uh, trajectory, like it was early-ish still, yes, you know? Was, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's back out a little bit and like, you know, uh, Lakeisha and college, like how did you decide to do a PhD? Oh, that's a good question. Um, A student asked me the same question yesterday. (laughs) And um, so I would say I was, I've always been excited about science. I actually initially started as an undergrad major in microbiology because I was just excited about science. And my, I have an older, an older sister who I just did everything like her. So if she did it, oh, I didn't know what microbiology was, but I just was like. (laughs) You must admire your sister. I do a lot. She's one of my faves. I have two. They both are my faves. Um, So I was, I went to college. We're five years apart, but I went to college. I was like, I'm going to do microbiology. But I, my teacher used to bring me up to the class to teach the class calculus. Like she's like, Lakeisha, I think you can explain this to them because they're not getting it. <laughs> but then in biology, I was like struggling, Nancy. I was having a hard time remembering all the genus and the species and all of the things that's associated There's with There's so that. much memorizing, it so feels like. So much memorizing. Yeah. And I don't know if I was the best back then of memorizing. I would say I probably, I wasn't, but I was highly analytical. And so in my ability to be analytical, I, I just gave confidence and I'm grateful to that teacher uh, Dr. Wilinski I still remember her we used to meet f- freshman calculus at LSU 7 a.m. I have no idea how I did it 7 30 but it was uh, <laughs> it was I, I some days I would 
be I would give the be given opportunity to kind of not necessarily sometimes go up to the board, but oftentimes go to students one on one and just kind of help explain. And it was fun doing that. And so I thought I was like, I probably should change my major because I'm like soaring in this math. But biology is like nothing. I mean, it was just hard. I eventually got the biology. I had to in bioengineering, right? But um, I changed my second semester. I changed because I figured it's probably not a good idea to stay here. And Is that when you changed to bioengineering? Yep. Second semester of my freshman, of, of college, mm-hmm. actually. And so um, I changed and then the rest is history. And I decided I had a great mentor. Her name is Dr. Mary Beth Lima. She is still at LSU. She's the department chair uh, of biological engineering now at Louisiana State University. But when I started, she was her first semester faculty of a faculty. So she um, she was a junior faculty assistant professor and I started doing research with her and working with her as I when I joined biomedical engineering. She was like, hey, you need a job. You want to work with me? I do this. That's amazing. Yeah. And she literally came to you that that's unusual. Yeah. I was in her class and she was like, hey, and I'm sure she she asked others because it was a team of us. She Mm -hmm. was a new faculty starting and and we just had a great time just working with her. We did some crazy fun stuff that it's not necessarily all bioengineering. Mm-hmm. We did like drafting and design and of the tiger cage at LSU and just some fun things that engineering, we learned, gathered a lot of engineering tools that she knew we needed, the fundamentals. That's and it nice. was just really good. So then from there, um, she's she had a friend at Mississippi State who was, they were starting a fairly early PhD program that it was fairly early. And she was like, Hey, my friend is starting a PhD program at Mississippi state. What do you think? Like a BME PhD? Yeah. BME. It was Mm -hmm. brand new. And so, um, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do PhD. And she started explaining to me this one were one woman, Mary Beth Lehman. And sure enough, I was like, okay, I trust you the first time and it worked. I guess I can trust you. And then here you are today. Here I am today. Just this. And there were other people and other she she placed me and helped me connect with others who were very instrumental with their voice and supporting Mm -hmm. me in this process. But I was clueless and first generation. Uh, My sister went to college, but my parents didn't. So it was just very new to me. And the Ph.D. was like, whoa, what am I doing? But she was certainly a, a voice for me. And it was really good. It's it's such important to have good early mentors, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. people that see the potential and tell you you should consider a PhD, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. um, uh, because as you say, like not everybody's parents even know what that is. You may not even know what that is. Mm-hmm. So if nobody tells you, then you'll never find out. Right. Um, so then you make it you made it to Mississippi State mm-hmm. for your graduate work. Yes. And in a few in a few sentences for an audience that does not know anything about like BME, you know, right. uh, what was your thesis work on? Oh, my thesis was not was not neuro because I was uh, I was working uh, biomedical engineering, but I also had a mechanical engineering um, advisor. So we worked together. He was, he was actually modeling, you know, metals and polymers and doing mathematical modeling of these things. And he had questions about one of my advisors who was co-advised by, by a BME and a mechanical. And they both, one had questions, the mechanical engineering had a question about, um, so we understand that there are things that fail inside of metals and, you know, polymers and things there there. We can model that we can model that failure inside of inorganic materials. Can we develop mathematical mathematical models of those of those failures in organic living tissues or in tissues? And so I was I 
jumped on it. I was like, well, let's try the most, one of the simpler to, I mean, to say anything in the body is simple is like, oh, haha, right? It's not, but we tried the tendon because it's just fibers and the matrix and it wasn't as complex. So we, my PhD was on just trying to um, experimentally assess tendon in multiple different perspectives, as well as develop models of it, like mathematical models. So then your strength in math, like it showed up in grad school. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. Right. And so, yeah. And yeah, so that's where that's where it was. And then from there, of course, after I became, as I mentioned earlier, into my career, we attempted to try to use some of this. And I did this probably the past several years prior to joining University of Florida, but attempted to use utilize a lot of those modeling skills. It was a team of us, a team of very brilliant engineers. They were very helpful in um, us building like brain models and things like that. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. Well, before before fast forwarding to your assistant professor mm-hmm. years, um, when you suddenly encounter the brain, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious if it was a, an easy decision for you to do a postdoc and continue on the academic track. Because I mean, I feel like as an engineer, there's definitely like a lot of industry opportunities. Yeah. So how how was that like that transition? Decision, yeah, for you. Yeah, that was hard. So I did a research faculty post kind of instead of like a postdoc, but and it oh, was so for, you went straight into faculty. Yeah, I went straight into I went to research and then I wasn't tenure track. It was non-tenure track, but I did that for two years. And it was for personal reasons because my husband was finishing his PhD and at the same institution. And so I stayed at the same institution in Mississippi. And then we stayed there for a couple of years. And then he finished after those two years. And um they offered me an opportunity to continue. To stay? Yeah. And so yeah. we were like, let's do this. This is fun. Like it was fun. So yeah. So it I would say, so you asked, I'm sorry, Nancy, you asked the challenge associated with like if, you know, after you finish your PhD, what you know, was it clear to you that you were staying in academia? Oh, or yeah. or uh, did you had any like second thoughts? No, I think it sounds uh, like it was pretty straightforward for yeah, you. I, yeah, it was it was I liked research. I mean, just really laser focused on it. And I haven't, I mean, it's just, you know, everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses. And I would say one of mine is to really focus and to sit still. One and of your strengths. One yeah. of my strengths. Yeah. yeah. And so research allowed me to do that. I didn't, I don't, there might be other things. That other careers. Yeah. Other yeah. Career. But we, yeah, research is particularly important to be able to focus yes, in something that's very specific, <laughs> right. which not everybody enjoys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was, it was, you're right. It wasn't a hard decision. That, so that. That early mentor you had was mm-hmm. so right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I can't. I recognizing can't. your potential. Right. When I see her, I ask her, when I see her face to face, I'm like, how can I repay you? I cannot repay you. She's like, just do what I did. Just do what exactly. I did. Exactly. Yeah. Observe, you know, mm-hmm. and like help, help right. the, the next generation. That's definitely how you pay it for. Yes. Um, let's talk. You mentioned a little bit about this of like you were an expert in like uh, tendon mm-hmm. tissue. Yes. Um, and not just experimentally, but also modeling mm-hmm. it. Right. And then suddenly you realize that there were some groups interested in doing something similar in the brain. How did that happen? Was it a conference? Was it just yeah. talking to colleagues? So I went, oh, that's a good question. I have to really dig deep for that. I went to an event. It was like a proposal showcase for some funding agencies. And um, they were asking, We just, I just got in a conversation with some of these individuals who were there uh, and and it happened to be some of the some of the folks who trained me and my skills were my and um 
advisors and such were there as well, one of them. And so we were all talking to the different tables and the people who were there. And I remember, I don't remember all the conversation, but I do remember that this topic came up. It was like, you guys did this with tendon. Can you do this with brain and I'm like naive junior faculty asking that question yeah (laughs) they were asking us and I was like yeah I think we can do it you know and I'm like we still haven't done it (laughs) we've tried we've made strides you know but um it's just you you know the brain and 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 the complexity of it so is it you know, I'm familiar with organoid research. Mm-hmm. Is it similar to that of like growing the tissue or are we talking about something totally different? Yeah, so we're talking about, it's kind of like what we call, I was in short, multi-scale modeling. So you're attempting to make a computational duplicate mirror of this system in a, a virtual environment. From the mechanical perspective. From the, from the mechanistic and mechanical. So you're putting in multi-physics. So you're doing the chemical, the mechanical, the Yeah, the so physical. not just the neurons, the astrocytes, no. and all of that extracellular mm-hmm. matrix. No, you're doing, a, you're, you're, you're specifying each area of the brain. You're, yeah, you're being, so there's ways, you know, we were able to do CT scan. I mean, I'm sorry, not CT scans, other scans to mm-hmm. be able to actually um, have correct geometrical features. And then we do mathematical models. So we have publications out there of the the skull, the scalp, the CSF, the brain, and all mm, this. And okay, look, all of you, the separate components. The separate too. components. And so our goal is to be able to understand um, how they interact with each other in a virtual environment under intense vibrations under high impact situations. Right. And that's the TBI connection. That's the TBI connection. Absolutely. So our goal was to be able to build a whole, you know, we used to call it a, we call it a human body simulation. So virtual human from the head, you know, down, but for sure we were focused on the head. There were other groups that was focused on because we joined a consortium and we were part of the brain consortium and the other folks were doing neck and shoulder and such. And Mm -hmm. so our goal was to build a virtual head model. And we did a lot with that and expose it to different scenarios and and um, assess its response like with, function wise like response so it's most mechanical because we mechanical, didn't have, yeah okay. mostly mechanical so we would look at interactions um between cells even to that level it was also mm-hmm. multi-scale so our goal was to see you know cellular level fiber level and the entire brain level the interaction between the different um parts of the brain. Oh, that sounds so complex. It it was, it's really complex. I had had a colleague, he did a whole, he did a, he worked with me, his whole PhD was on this, these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, it was, it, yeah, it's really complex. It still works in progress. Um, yeah, so certainly modeling, but we had to validate that model with experiments. Right. So okay. a lot of our experiments, that's, I was heavily, I'm heavily still the experimentalist. I understand the model. I can do the models, but we had teams that you can't do both in your lab. I learned that a long time ago. You can't be <laughs> excellent at both. You can do both, but um, it takes lots of resources and I haven't have been there to do both. Mm-hmm. So we've always collaborated with someone who can actually take the model from our baseline to bring it way further than what we've done. It's mm-hmm. it's expensive as well. So is it because of the computational power that it yes. becomes expensive? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And you need people to actually build oh, it absolutely. and write yeah. the write the code. Full time on yes. it basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a full time. It's almost like yeah, having a benchtop lab. It's just a dry lab. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um it's yeah. I guess having a successful experimental and computational lab means you have twice the budget. Oh, there was, <laughs> that's you, a, that's yeah. a, you said it perfectly, yeah. right? I would love to have that budget. <laughs> <laughs> 
working on it, working on exactly it, getting those grants. Right. Um, so, so I'm curious about the experimental side. Mm-hmm. What is it like? Is it taking brain tissue from mice and doing stuff to it? Like, so, what does yeah, that look so like? Potentially. Uh, so, um, um, we have done mostly pig models. That's what we did all with those models. Because it's we more building. similar to mm-hmm. the human mm-hmm. brain in terms of size right. and mechanical. So we did a lot of that uh, in my prior. Um, I have transitioned some and I can talk to you about that as I've come to. I was there for about 10 years and then moving here. At Mississippi State. At Mississippi State, yes. And so moving here, we've kind of we um, we've added to that. Um, added some specific mechanistic questions that we realized we weren't capturing there for multiple reasons. So we've added some mechanistic questions from the bench top, and so that's what we're trying to answer now. Uh, that's where we're and not trying. That's what we're answering. So, um, but yeah, we use uh, pig models in vitro and in vivo, um, and then we capture that data and then input it into. Um, that was experimental. Then we input it into the computational models, oh, the data I that see. we captured right. from the computer. From so yeah. you do some actual experiments with the pig, mm-hmm. and you use that to modify the models, Absolutely. basically. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that it inform. Yeah, we call it inform. So it informs the models. It kind of gives it the models, mm-hmm. the the data it needs to perform accordingly, at least as close to a human as possible. Uh, and and back then it wasn't that long ago, but models have come a long way. Uh, brain models, uh, it, and we call it finite element models. So I won't go into that. But these brain models, um, they used to be very much so gelatinous, not um, homogeneous, you know, um, like the, a jello, a jello. And, the, and yeah, and the and the skull, you know, more like a plastic or a hard polymer ABS or something, you know, just mm-hmm. a, nothing. And so we realized that if car manufacturers and other men, other others who are interested in these types of environments, that's what part of our motivation was, was those who are testing these simulations by building um, systems for humans like cars, mm-hmm. vehicles or whatever it is, um, if you're building things, um, how do you test it? And what are you what's the integrity of the, for the systems you're te- using testing. for safety? Oh. Right. So that a large part of our work back then was motivated and motivated by safety. And that's those are the individuals we were meeting with, the granting agencies or the individuals who were so more interested on the in, NSF side yeah, or the DARPA? NSF DOD. Yeah. DOD. So yeah, more okay. NSF DOD and some of DOE actually. But those are the people we were mm-hmm. um funded by and working along with for many years. And, and how do you went from that to the VC's world? <laughs> Ah, that's a good question. Oh, it's 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 been a fun deep dive. Okay, remember my biology story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've come to terms that everything comes full circle, right? And yes. so uh, it has come full circle. It's been really fun. My collaborators have helped me a lot. I'm looking forward, maybe in the near future, of a sabbatical in neuroscience. Oh, how exciting! <laughs> I'm yeah. excited. I'm hopeful for that because, um, of course, I'm a, a an engineer and I do have a strong biology background. But I, of course, the disease side, it t- we I read every um, essentially almost every day about something related to. Um, neurological decline, you know, um, because it's really important for me to actually be able to speak the language and understand. And I've learned it's two different yeah, languages. to be able to speak with your collaborators. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And oh, they've been amazing. Yeah, every <laughs> discipline has their language. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you write, exactly. So I think... <clears throat> Excuse me. We've been working on this. I, I would say writing proposals in this space for since I've been here. So, in the past four years, I I feel like I've caught not by no means caught up with you guys, but for sure have been 
have been taught a lot and been educated, you know, attending the seminars mm-hmm. and attending um, my colleagues, like some of their journal clubs or things like that, just kind of learning a bit. And I feel like it's it's been really good for us. We've been successful over these couple of years <clears throat> by, by making that transition, but it wasn't it wasn't easy. And it's still my students are still um, we love your students because they're amazing. They help us and we help them. So mm-hmm. it's like I, I love the fact that we're really bridging these disciplines in a, in a, in a kind of unique way. And I, and it's uncomfortable. It's been uncomfortable for a lot of folks. But I, I mean, my team. Uncomfortable, you mean challenging, like for challenging, the students? Yeah. yeah. Having to. If they're coming from engineering to to learn the language. Exactly. Or yeah. The literature. Yeah. But they're getting it and they're, and they're getting it. And it's like you've come this far to learn your second year in your PhD, you can dive in into this. And so they've been, I mean, they've, I don't. I How mean, exciting. It is. It's good. It's been really good, Nancy. And especially as a lab, because since, you know, you've been learning this for the five, past four years, you're mm-hmm. all as a lab learning it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I've had some of my prior lab members and even myself, we've been exposed to the brain for so long, but then you go into the world of neuroscience. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's, it's almost like, where do you start? <laughs> where do you start? Yeah, that's great. It's yeah. fun. It's, it's been fun though. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to shock one of your students, you can send them to the big meeting, the society for, for neuroscience, you know, oh, yeah. SFN, like that's like giant, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, where do you start? Like yeah. there's so many parts to neuroscience. So. Yeah, they already, thanks for that. Cause they already on, we're, we're on cue to go next year. Oh, great. That's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Going. We're yeah. all going. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Uh, they have a very, very good app, very necessary to navigate nice. the conference. Awesome. Um, yeah. That's good. So that's good. That's yeah. a pro tip. <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> about Aspen. Um, so, you know, thinking now, um, where, where do you see your lab going? I mean, do yeah. you see yourself staying in the brain space or do you see yourself, you know, going into other organs mm-hmm. or systems? Like as you think about your future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Nancy. You ask really good questions. So I, you know, it's, I think we found our place and I'm not saying that because we're here talking, but I think we found our place because there's so much to learn and there's so much excitement about, I mean, we we're here to solve problems and to answer novel questions. There are lots of gaps uh, that I've seen in the TBI space in the traumatic brain injury space relating to neurodegeneration and just our reading in our lab. We do a every lab meeting, we do a 15, 20 minute paper and just kind of have a discussion on, on that paper. It's almost like journal club. Mini. A mini journal club. Yeah. At the beginning. That's of awesome. It. Yeah, that sounds it, awesome. Thanks. And it helps us learn. It helps everyone get on page and it's mm-hmm. it's it's 99% in neuroscience. Um, and so what that helps, it, so it helps us all get on the same page. The, the questions come during that time. And then we just make, we just populate so many questions and so many ideas during these times that it's, I, it, we're all excited about it. Um, and then, and it's just a lot to do. I mean, a, a lot we have a vision for. So I don't see. I'm, I'm mid career now, and I feel like this is the place for us. Mm-hmm. It, we, I like it. Is it yeah. big enough space to keep you excited exactly. and busy yeah. for a long time? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to keep a lot of people excited right. and busy for a long time. Yeah. That's super exciting. It is, and yeah. I think merging or bringing in um, the engineering, and even to maybe at some point the mathematical modeling. At some point, we're still heavily experimental because there's lots of questions there. But bringing in, you know, I think there's there there are years of work that can be done. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's 
to me, you know, as a neuroscientist that, you know, I, I consider myself a systems neuroscientist, you mm -hmm. know. So when I think about computational neuroscience and mathematical modeling, I had never even thought about this type of modeling, mm -hmm. which also could, you know, happen in the space of the brain, you know. So it's it's great to think about how how it could be data driven this way, mm -hmm. you know, like, right. cause there's all these world of like artificial neural networks, but mm -hmm. it's not mechanical at all. There's nothing <laughs> mechanical there. And it's not like they're, they're not trying to model what the tissue is actually like at all, you know? So they're, they're such different, you know, like it's, right. it's really cool for, for me to, to, to even think about this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, we've been discussing your whole trajectory. I feel like we're, we're, we're up to date with like where you're at today. Um, and it, Kind of sounds perfect, you know, in the sense of like, so <laughs> smooth, wasn't. you know, like you were <laughs> no. good at math, your professor inspired you, uh, you know, you did BME and, and you're here today. So tell us what, what are some of the challenges that you faced, you know, either current challenges or challenges that you face in, in your journey? Yeah. Um, there, there were several, uh, I would say. So yeah, thanks, Nancy. It wasn't perfect as you, I'm sure you know, it was funny though. Um, I would say being a first uh, in many environments, I'm coming from an inner city, um, grew up around people of color my entire life and really rarely interacted with anyone outside of that environment. We were a very close kind of Creole neighborhood in New Orleans, Louisiana. And so we had lots of people who we, our family was our people and the people around us you know, they were all people of color and um, going to all schools, very similar demographics, then going to Louisiana State University, which is a primarily, you know, white institution, um, PWI. And uh, in entering that environment, it was the people were, were amazing. We had a very small biological engineering class back then. It was like maybe 40 of us and um, we stayed in cohorts. So my cohort, but the cohort was amazing. I met Mary Beth Lima, who was took me under her wings and just mentored me and to this day still mentors me. But in my mind, I was the black girl in entering their environment. How do you do that? How do you become comfortable in someone else's environment? They never projected. It didn't projected. feel like your environment. It did not. And I was really uncomfortable. And learning when you're, I have kids, learning when they're not comfortable or uneasy, it's not a good place, right? And so I, I was able to learn and do things, but it was, every day was an emotional struggle. And it was all me. I did not, they did not project anything negative onto me. And you probably were keeping it to yourself yes, too. exactly. Because I was the only black person at that moment when I was a freshman in the program. And so then there was a couple that would join here and there. And maybe the ones who joined, only one graduated with me. So um, two of us eventually graduated together, but still we... You know, you don't want to just be between the two people. Yeah. You have to grow because that's real life and connect. And the the individuals who were my classmates never gave me any reason to to disconnect from them. I mean, they were like, let's study for dynamics, let's study for calculus and whatever, let's study for biology. And you you had to study together. I mm -hmm. mean, in some of these courses because they were like, you were mm -hmm. in in deep if you didn't have a team. And so we were were well, you know well-oiled machine was studying and they just became friends and they're still friends to this day but it was an internal battle for me to be the first and the only at that time but I knew that I was I, I didn't know at the time that I would be the first again and the first again and the first and the only so again. So it was your first <laughs> practice. Exactly yeah and so it, it really um, that was a real challenge and I still 
think about those emotions because some days I was on the line of, should I go home? Should I quit? Should I, you know, do something different, change my major? Um, because it's it's isolating and it's I th- a large part of it. Be, it was me isolating myself. And so, uh, yeah, I think, but that prepared me for, you know, where I am today. Being the first in your PhD program and, yes, and maybe my, faculty. Yes, at Mississippi State first black faculty and at University of Florida uh, in biomedical engineering, the first black faculty. And you, 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 what is it like? You pave the 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 way mm-hmm. for it because after you, there's been a couple yeah. other black faculty that have joined the department. So yes, at both institutions, and it's been great. I mean, it's been good. But I, you know, that that those experience early experiences certainly taught me a lot about myself and that's mm-hmm. the hard part sometimes learning about who you are yeah that's true <laughs> you want to blame everybody else but no one did me anything it was all me right? yeah i know and it's kind of on ourselves to like mm-hmm. learn about ourselves yes. right like, yeah exactly it's a little hard for someone else to help us i mean you can get some guidance but it it it's on you the majority <laughs> right yeah absolutely um, yeah yeah well, that's that thank you for sharing that sure i thank you. um i'm sure that maybe some of our listeners might be feeling that way and mm-hmm. this could inspire them Mm -hmm. to think about like something that's a challenge that could also become like what prepares you for an amazing future you know that that you that you could have Mm -hmm. um and that may i interject again Mm -hmm. i I totally agree that's good and also i think part of my motivation is even at my prior institution one thing i would do is get the list of you know um people students of color especially women of color and uh but all students of color and i would just invite them to tour the lab if we're going to see them the mri come and see not necessarily like for the work. undergrads like, yeah for undergrads mm-hmm. and not necessarily to volunteer in the lab but they could come sit in our lab meetings they didn't have to sign up for anything it's almost like a just come along with us and take a look take a look it's not because it's so few in these disciplines that it's almost like I and I and I think a lot of that my interest in that is motivated by how I felt as a new student in a very big ocean you know coming just yeah. like the, the small fish in this ocean so um and it's really been helped I've had students join my lab uh because of just here actually inviting them to just tour the lab and come in when they want questions have questions or want to see a piece of equipment I want to see an experiment done so yeah it's been good that's so nice that's actually like a a, a really good tip for faculty you know mm-hmm. like if you are in a small program just yeah. reach out to those students mm-hmm. and expose them yeah yeah expose them absolutely yeah so um you know academia is not perfect we all know that <laughs> if you could change anything you know given all your experiences and 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 the wisdom that you've gotten and and you know, from from your point of view what is something that you know if you had the power you would change yeah i think i, I think there are a lot of things honestly I, a big thing um i think as academicians we're expected to be good at everything we do and i don't think that's so in industry, I'll say this, I've never worked in industry, but what I'm aware of is that they put you in a job that you're- You wear one hat. <laughs> exactly, you wear one hat. We're expected to wear too many hats and it's just too many hours in a fire. There's rarely an academician I can come by and say they're not, they don't have like a full calendar, a full this, a full that, you know, full everything. We've just given a lot of jobs and I don't know who would streamline those things, but it would be nice, ideally, if I had a magic wand to say, 
you know, Nancy's amazing teacher. Let her teach until she can't teach anymore. Mm -hmm. She's a, you know, um, Sarah's amazing researcher. or She does great service. You know, let them do whatever they want to do and not think about the money. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think people thrive when they're fulfilled internally. And that means when they're doing things they love and doing things they're good at. And I think a lot of times academicians get burnt out because we're doing too much and a lot of stuff we don't like. And things that are very different from each other is not yeah. the same to like write grants than to teach <laughs> exactly. in a classroom. That's, yes, amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, right? Yeah. And so it's almost like some people love both and want to do both. And I think, I mean, a lot of us just want to serve. This is a service job. I mm -hmm. mean, I've come to terms yeah. like if we're going to serve, but we are going to be a bit more spent than our colleagues maybe in other areas and other um job jobs like industry or whatever but at the same time i think it's just where does the buck stop where do you, i th there should be some i would love to see a system restructuring however that looks even if it starts yeah. at the in, at the department level and works its way up or at the yeah. college level right? yeah it would take like a perhaps like a very um innovative dean yeah. of a oh, yeah. college uh -huh. or at least a chair probably like more like dean level like mm. for more power oh, yeah, but for like sure. of um in terms of like thinking out of the box and restructuring and mm -hmm. and perhaps like you would make everyone for sure you'll make everybody happier right <laughs> uh -huh. but like then those that are really good at those things like i mean i think like just like things are going to become better yeah, you know <laughs> like i agree yeah <laughs> so that's, that's really cool like i've yeah. never i've I guess I've thought about it, but I've never thought about like, yeah, you could solve this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course, the the bottom line is money and how, because then you'll get people who, I mean, it may be surprising, but some people may say, you know, I just want to teach for 100% of my time or mm -hmm. I just want to serve. But I mean, just imagine, I think if we were able to do that, if people were able to do so much of what they like, then they can possibly do a bit more of things that aren't number one on their list, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. they can start, if they want to be a, you know, a superstar researcher, they could probably be more amenable to to doing outreach efforts here and there, you know, because they're always focused. Because their plate is not already over overflowing <laughs> exactly. with a bunch of different things. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. that and makes I, sense. Yeah, so that's, if I could overhaul, I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing. And then I think when people are happy, the culture kind of goes with it. Uh, you know, to some degree, everyone, everything's different. I can't say that's going to happen the whole time. But I think if you get people who are happy in their purpose and their calling and loving what they do, mm -hmm. then the culture, you can feel it. You know, yeah, there's, like, like, yeah. there's definitely a correlation. You there's know, a correlation, maybe it's not right. perfect, but mm -hmm. it absolutely influences the environment. Yeah, right. You'll have more parties. You'll have more <laughs> kind emails. You know? More kind emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's yeah. my that's my magic wand. That's true. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so just to finish, uh, let's talk a little bit about like Keisha outside of the lab. You know what? What do you do if you if you happen to have a hobby? You can mention it. If yeah. it's, it could be also regular life. What does okay. regular life look look yeah. for you? Yeah. So I regular life is um, I'm married to uh, Byron Williams. My husband is a pastor, so he's a full time oh, wow. minister. Yeah, which is which is fun. So we're um, oftentimes in church with our kids on on Sundays, and it's it's always fun. So you have community here. We have, yeah, we have lots of community. Oh, and that's that's what life looks like us. It looks like for us, especially on the weekends. We're we're with people all around, which makes again, it makes it's great, right? So we, um, but I have a ten year old and a seven year old, um, and they are very much so into things like sports and activities. So they're kind of my evenings on the weekday are kind of filled with a lot of their things. Something I like to do personally. Um, I love exercise. I just love what's, it. What's what type of exercise? So I do. I like you know. 
as I'm maturing, I'm getting more into weightlifting. Nice. <laughs> but I used to be, I, I, and I used to be big into weightlifting when I was younger, but um, then I got more into cardiovascular mm-hmm. kind of Peloton type stuff. And so now I'm back into the weightlifting and I, I enjoy it. It's really fun. It's a stress relief for me. It makes you feel strong. Too. Yes. It makes you feel good and strong. The sun is brighter and you know, everything's good. So <clears throat> that's a lot of what I do. It's outside of my kids and, you know, um, your community. My community. Yeah. Because we, <laughs> We do a lot with our community. At least every week we're with them. So every weekend. That's yep. amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. Sure. Thank you. Well, it's been awesome hearing your your story, your mm-hmm. amazing like trajectory of how you made it to the brain and like, you know, all of the challenges and everything. It's it's really, really amazing. Thanks, Nancy. And your questions were great. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I've gotten some practice. <laughs> <laughs>